plenty of time, and I look forward to spending more time with you uh, the rest of the day. Uh, I'm obviously appreciative of the opportunity to study God's Word with you, and thankful for uh, the Bible class hour and everything that's going on so far this morning. So we're going to look at some things in uh, 1 Samuel and the 2 Samuel, and then we're going to get to the reading uh, in Ephesians in just a little bit. I want to start with just a question, so uh, this is something that we can all kind of just, I guess, be thinking about, and then I want to see what your answers are to this question. Uh, I want you to think of the characteristics of God that just come to your mind, the, the characteristics that you think of, that you're appreciative of, of just who He is, and then I want you to tell me some of those that you can think of off the top of your head. Love. Love, okay. What else? Patience. Patience, yeah. Endurance. Endurance, yeah. It goes along with patience, definitely, and his steadfastness and his how much he is uh, caring for us over and over and over again. What else? Just. Yeah, just, definitely. What about the, with the first, when we were talking in the, in the Bible class hour, what was one of the things that the nation was going to be because that's how God was? Holy, right? Yeah, it goes along with being just and righteous, things like that. What else? How about just he embodies what it is to be gracious and be merciful, I think, and obviously those go along with love. Uh, very kind and, and forgiving and caring. He's compassionate. Uh, we know that he is wrathful at times. Don't like that characteristic trait, but he is. We see that. That was one of the things that uh, they need to be careful not to go against in Exodus, right? Because what were they going to incur? It was his wrath, right? Uh, you don't have someone stoned because, oh, well, I, would, you know, I really showed a lot of love for that person. No, it's, it's wrath being poured on that person. Well, so the first one that was said was love. To me, love brings all those things together, right? I think it's, it's what grace and mercy and kindness and, and uh, patience and endurance and even justice, all those things, I think they're all brought together by His love. So what I want to talk about is the steadfast love of God. And we see that in 1 Samuel 20. And we're going to read verses 13 through 17. And so this is the story, uh, an account where you have Jonathan and David talking. And we know that Jonathan and David, they loved each other. I mean, they were, they were so close. They were like brothers, maybe even closer than brothers. I have a little brother. And, well, I'll say I think that what they have is probably closer than what I have with my little brother. And, I mean, just the best of friends. But there's a problem. Jonathan's father, Saul, I mean, he's trying to kill David. And Jonathan knows this. So if you look at verse number 13, he says, But should it please my father to do you harm? The Lord do so to Jonathan, more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I might not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from, from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth." And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So there are a few things I want to point out. The first thing is that you see this covenant, this promise that's taking place between these two guys, and it's all based on the fact that Jonathan knows that David is next in line. He knows that it's not going to be him that's going to be the king after Saul. And he also knows that this battle going on between Saul and David is going to cause a rift between just the whole family of Saul and the whole family of David. 
uh, if you put yourself in David's shoes, anyone that is going up against you that is your enemy, you got to wipe him and his whole family out. And they could be taken care of. But not Jonathan necessarily. I mean, Jonathan loves David. But it's going to happen. And so what Jonathan is saying is that don't cut off your love from me and from my house. Don't cut it off. Let that continue. But if you look back to verse 14 and what that love is even based on, what the love they have together is based on, he says it's called the steadfast love of the Lord. So there's a few things. First thing I think we need to understand when it comes to the love of God from this passage is that this love look, looks past what's logical. Uh, it's logical to wipe out Jonathan's family. Even if you love Jonathan, you never know. I mean, you never know some sort of vengeance someone wants to take on, on David for what's happened. It's what's going to happen with Saul. Uh, but so it looks past what's logical. The second thing is that this love is long-lasting. It's steadfast. It's not just long-lasting, it's, it's forever-lasting. And the third thing is that this love reaches beyond what it must. So if you look down, it makes perfect sense to me that Jonathan says uh, that if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on and he says, don't cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. That's like above and beyond what the call of duty, I guess, or that, that's much more than I would expect. That would be like me asking my parents something for Christmas and I'm saying, hey, you know, I'd really like a new pair of shoes. And then I get like 10 pairs of shoes that I really want. Sometimes what happens when the way we show love is like, I'm going to try to show you love, but I'm not going to be able to really meet your expectations. But what he's calling for is I want you to go above and beyond. And that's not something that David's going to be able to do just from his own love. It's because he understands the steadfast love of God. So, so we have this story. We understand this is what it's talking about. And what we're going to get to is 2 Samuel 9. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But what I want to do now is I, I want you just to think back. to and Don't turn over to Ephesians 1. Think back to some of the things that it said in Ephesians 1. At the end of verse 4, right before it starts verse 5, it says, in love. And so what we have there in Ephesians 1 is Paul is describing the things that we have from God in love. So just listen to some of the things that he lists there. And this goes from verse 4 to verse 14. He chose us in love. He predestined us. He planned for our adoption through Christ in love. He redeemed us through Christ's blood. He lavished, or I think the other word that was used was it was abundant. Uh, he is abundant with his wisdom upon us, revealing his will. His will. Uh, it is long-lasting. It's forever-lasting, it even says there. He's provided inheritance for us as we are true children, not just adopted children, but his true sons and daughters. And he's made us promises that he will fulfill. Those are all things that it says in Ephesians 1 that God is doing for us or will do for us in love. So again, that's what we need to be thinking about as we, as we go on. So let's go ahead and go to 2 Samuel 9. So remember, what, remember what the, the covenant, the promise that uh, Jonathan and David have. He's going to look after his whole family because of the steadfast love of the Lord. So you go to 2 Samuel 9, and we're going to begin reading verse 1. And we're going to read the whole chapter. David said, so this is after Saul has been wiped out, right? He's dead. Jonathan's dead. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of peace, I, I guess, going on right now. So David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? By the way, when it says kindness... In my mind, I kind of replace that with love. I mean, it, to me, it's the same thing in this context. So he's asking, is there anyone that I can fulfill my covenant with Jonathan to? There was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, 
are you Zeba? And he said, I am your servant. So I think the reason Zeba says that is because if they know he was a servant of Saul and that's whose house he served in for a long time, my, my, my guess is he doesn't want to be known for that anymore. Uh, not to David. So he says, I'm your servant. So he changed it real quick. No, 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 I'm, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I might show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. So there's one. There's one person left. But he doesn't just say, yeah, there's one guy. He tosses that in there at the end and say, but he's crippled. Uh, you know, do you really want to show kindness and, and love to that person? I mean, he's crippled. You know, those people were cast aside. They were not really, look. I mean, what, what benefit can they be? I don't know what was wrong with him. I don't know how, if it was from birth. I don't know if something that happened in battle. Or, I don't know what happened. But he was crippled at his feet. He couldn't walk. Um, I think that when we go and we're going to walk in a little bit to go eat or something like that, you know, if there was someone that was crippled at feet, we'd help him. But you might be kind of hoping that, okay, maybe they have another way to get there, you know, <laughs> or maybe something's wrong and they're not able to come. Because it's just a hassle. It's a burden sometimes. That's not how David's thinking about this, though. That's how the servants seem to think. So he says in verse 4, The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to him, to, said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then the king David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the, the land of Saul, your father. You shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So David tells him, you're going to come and you're going to leave Lodabar. You're going to leave where you've been. And you're going to come and you're going to be in my house. You're going to eat at my table. You're going to be with me. And, you know, Mephibosheth's question here, I mean, it's kind of the same question that I think that we just asked in a song. Is it for me, dear Savior? Is that really for me? Did you really do that for me, God? What am I? What is your servant that you should show regard for me? I think that's a good question. That shows humility. That's the same humility we should have. But it also might show that he is not willing to truly accept that David would want to do this good thing for him. So that's kind of a one side point that we need to be very careful of is we know that God loves us. We know he's been so gracious to us. Sometimes you just have to accept it, even though you're not worthy, even though you know that you don't deserve it. But don't, don't be too timid to accept it and, and to accept the things that he does for us. So then verse 9, the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and, all, and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. 
again, at the end there, I just find it interesting that why would it toss that in there at the very end? I mean, it's like a happy story. I mean, you know, hey, everything's good. He's, got, he's been able to go into the house of David, and, you know, he's got Ziba and his, all the servants and his children. They're tilling the land. They're doing everything. They're providing for Mephibosheth. But you know what? They don't even have, he doesn't have to worry about eating what comes from the land because he's always going to eat at David's table. But by the way, he was crippled in his feet. He was lame in both his feet. So don't forget that this is done for someone who can't give anything to David. He can't, he can't go out to battle. He can't be one of his mighty men. He can't even really serve David that well. Uh, we know that he, he, you know, he fell out on his face and he, and he praised him and things like that, but he can't do anything for David. So we have this, this great story. David intends to show kindness, and, the, and this kindness is kindness of the Lord. He actively seeks someone to show this love to. And the only family of Jonathan is Mephibosheth. He's crippled, so he's unworthy, he's not a popular choice. He really is a charity case. But David shows him love and goes above and beyond, so it's immeasurable. David accepts Mephibosheth in his house and receives him as a son. Does that sound kind of familiar? I think that that's us with God. God shows us love and kindness. He has actively sought us. I mean, if you think of how he is prepared and he, how he planned this, this great way of, of, of seeking us and adopting us and predestining us, but we're unworthy. We're, we're crippled to a certain degree. We're, we're not a popular choice. We're charity cases. But he still shows us love, and it's immeasurable love. And he accepts us, not just accepts us, and, but we're kind of set to the side. He accepts us as his children and as true children. And I just like the fact that it concludes verse 13. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. His whole home changed. Everything about it. He was invited to be with the king forever, for his whole life, and eat at his table. And that's the same for us too. As children of God, we have this hope where one day we will be invited to his house and we'll always eat with him and eat of his feast. So now I want to go to Ephesians 2. I want to compare the things we've just read, and I want to look at Ephesians 2 and see the things that we have here. We know Ephesians is written for us. It's written for us as Christians. And Ephesians 2, I think, really shows uh, the, the balance or uh, the imbalance that takes place on this is what we are, this is what we've done, this is God, and this is what He has done. So let's begin in verse number 1, and we're just going to read through verse 7. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All right. So there's a few things here. So I want to break this down in sections and say this is what we were, this is who God is, okay? So what were we? We were dead. 
we were walking in our sins, not just we, we've sinned. I mean, we all know that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and everything like that. But not, it's not just that. We, we were walking and living in these sins. We were following the world's path, he says, and it's the prince of the power of the air that, that reigns here on earth. We were living for our bodily desires, and we were living for just what we wanted in our own minds. And then he even says that we were children of wrath. That's what we were. But then something changed. And the interesting thing is what changed isn't us. He says what changed is but God. So what, what happened on that end? But God, he loved us. He made us alive. He united us with his son. He raised us up and he has set us at a seat of glory. And he shows us grace and kindness that is incapable of being measured. It is immeasurable. If you are going to get a balance and try to balance out and say, okay, so here is, here's me, here's all I've done, and here's God, and here's all he's done. What do you think is going to happen with that balance when you put it on the scales? Boom. It's going to hit the ground on the side of God because that's how much. And really, we can, we can try to put all we want on here, but it's like putting a feather on a scale. It's nothing. And then all the things that God has done, even if it's something that we, it doesn't seem very tangible or I can't really see with my eyes, it's still there, and all of a sudden the scale just drops. That's the picture we get here. That's the picture of David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth didn't do anything. This was not something that he was worthy of. He wasn't deserving of anything. He hadn't earned it for sure. And David did all this great stuff. Why? The steadfast love of the Lord first. But it was also because of the, the love he had for Jonathan and the covenant he had with him. So I think we we can see ourselves in that story of David and Mephibosheth. So what I want to do now is I want to get a little detailed and think of, of how this works and what, what happens here. So what, what it really focused on with Mephibosheth is he was invited to always eat at the king's table. So let's go to Luke 14. Luke 14. There's someone who like exclaims something as Jesus is teaching. And what they say is, Blessed is everyone who shall eat the bread in the kingdom. All right, if you look at verse number 15, I think it is. Luke 14, uh, you look down. I'm in Mark. That's not going to help at all. Luke 14, I was like, that does not look right. Luke 14, you look at verse 15, okay? And there's this guy that exclaims. There's always people that exclaim something, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense, like out of nowhere. This one is really good, I think. But I think what Jesus is about to do is really say, let me, let me really tell you what this means, okay? He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Sure, I guess so. And then Jesus says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So then in the next few verses, you have these guys, they just make excuses. I have a wife. Uh, good excuse, right? Uh, I have oxen. I, maybe that was even a better excuse than those days. I don't know. Uh, I have this going on. I have that going on. I didn't mean that in that way. I'm just saying, like, you know, i got to take care of this. Uh, none of these things make any sense to me. I, I don't understand any of these excuses. But what I do understand is the picture that Jesus is painting is God is inviting you to sit at his table and eat his feast. And what do we do? Uh, well, we ought to do that. I'd, I'd get my phone. I'd say, uh, I don't know. i got some other things to do today. Uh, I got some more things I want to take care of in my life before I do that. I can't. I'm tired. You know, I'm good. I'm kind of full. You know, I, 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 got, I got enough of the worldly stuff filling me, so I'm good. But then you go down to the end of this, and you look at verse number 21. 
So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. How are they going to get there? How much effort was the master going to have to put forth to even get these people to come in to eat his feast? And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So I think this is the first take-home point from this whole thing. Mephibosheth was invited to sit at David's, at the king's table, and eat his feast for his whole life. We are invited to eat of our king's feast to sit at his table. Are we going to make excuses? Are we going to just let time pass? Are we going to really want to eat that feast, but you know what, I'm going to do this for a little while first? Or are we going to actually accept the invitation and maybe not even show up? I've done that before. I've accepted the invitation to things. Uh, I, was in, I don't know how many weddings I've been invited to, but you know how many I've actually RSVP to? Approximately one. <laughs> and the reason is because I'm just lazy sometimes. Well, that's how we can be when it comes to accepting God's invitation. We can be very lazy. Or we can say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do this. It reminds me of another parable that Jesus tells where there was a servant that said he was going to do something. He didn't do it. And that was not looked well upon from Jesus. And it's not going to be looked well upon from God if we say, yes, I want to come. I'm going to be there. And then we get distracted and we just lose track of time and forget Everything we need to understand from this story is that we have been invited to the feast and we need to accept that invitation and make every preparation, every effort uh, that we can to be there, to be ready for it. But then the second thing is, and let's go back over to Ephesians 2. I should have told you how to mark your, your Bibles there. But Ephesians 2, there's a few verses we didn't read, and it's 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we need to accept His invitation, and we need to be ready. We don't need to be like those foolish virgins that didn't have, their, they didn't have the oil in their lamps. We need to be ready for this feast. But the second thing we have to do is we need to make sure we're always walking in the ways that God has prepared. You know, we're not worthy of it. We're, we're, we're the crippled person. or We're the lame. We're the blind. We're the person that is paralyzed. We're, we're the person really is dead, is what Ephesians 2 says. But we've been raised. I mean, we've, been, we've been raised up, seated on high, he says. And what do we do? He says we need to walk in this way. Because God planned out these works for us to accomplish. He, he, he like laid out the path, and it's, so, and it's so easy for us to see. But sometimes we just want to go a different path. When I was on my way over here, I was trying to find Josh and Kirby's apartment. Uh, you know, I was using my GPS, and I mean, it was pretty clear. I mean, you know, the blue line, I got to follow that. And uh, it even set, told me what to do uh, until I put it on mute because I, I don't like her voice really so I just put that on mute but I, I could still see it and it was very clear but you know I didn't look at my phone for a second I missed a turn if we don't always make sure we're looking at the way God has 
planned out for us to go in his path, we're going to miss a turn. We're going to go a wrong way. Or sometimes you just say, you know what? I see this map, but I bet there's a little shortcut here. And next thing you know, what you thought was going to be a shortcut, it's a one-way street and you can't go down it. And that's kind of how this works too. We can think we know the way God wants us to go, but if we don't look at it and pay close attention, we're going to wind up being caught in a corner and thinking, I thought this was going to work out. Always got to go back to what God wants us to do. And the reason isn't just so that we can sit here and say, oh, look at me, look at me. You think that Phibosheth ever had that attitude? I don't, it doesn't say anything else about him. I doubt it, though, because he was humble. And he was humble enough to say, I'm a dead dog. Why would you invite me to beat your feast? But I guarantee you, if he ever got to the point where he said, look at me, look at me sitting at the table of the king, there was going to be that reminder, look at your feet. You're a crippled man. So sometimes what we have to do is we have to sit back and we have to, even when we've been saved and we understand that we're Christians and we're trying our best to walk worthy, we have to sit there and we have to take a step back and humble ourselves and say, you know what, I'm that crippled guy. I'm that blind person. I think that we see ourselves in this very clearly. And it's not something we like to see because who, who likes to accept the fact that they're crippled and unworthy? But that's what we are. And so the call that has gone out for us that we see is also a call that we need to spread to other people. We know that. But what is the call? It's to come and eat. Come and feast and come and sit at the king's table. So I'll just leave you with this, and then I think we have a song that, uh, that Josh is going to lead. God's steadfast love led him to plan for our salvation, but also plan out the way we're to live. So our love, although it doesn't seem like it's very steadfast, needs to be so strong that we love him to the point where it causes us to walk in those ways that he's planned and to never, ever forsake and miss the invitation to his feast and always be thankful that he would look on us, crippled, lame, whatever we might be, uh, unworthy, dead even, and invite us to sit at his table and to eat his feast.